Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are going to be discussing a paper called An Exploration of Environmentally Sustainable Practices Associated with Alternative Grazing Management System Use for Horses, Ponies, Donkeys, and Mules in the UK. Now, this paper is open access, and it is by Tamsin Furtado et al., and it is a recent paper, 2022. Now, equestrian land, I think, can be a very important environmental resource, given that pasture land can help to keep carbon from the atmosphere. It can prevent soil erosion and provide diverse ecosystems for native plant and wildlife species. However, I think it's been overlooked in research um, circles. You know, I see a lot in farm magazines on cattle farming, crop farming, but I never see a whole lot on uh, horse lands and how to best take care of them. And how often do we come across a horse farm that people are just moving horses onto it and it looks absolutely beautiful. And then within a period of years, the mud has crept in, the grass is less, the weeds maybe have kind of taken over, and the areas where the horses tend to defecate and urinate, that's always a little longer than the rest of the pasture. So this study just aimed to um, give us kind of a... um, exploration of attitudes and how horse keepers feel about um, evaluating pastures and taking care of them. And then um, maybe we can do more research on that, what works, what doesn't work, etc. Now, it does talk about three systems. And those three systems are the track system, And most people in the States will know about it. It's called Paddock Paradise. And I believe Jamie Jackson came up with it. And it's just a track created around the outside of an area. The central part is allowed to grow long and you can use it for hay or you can use it for winter forage. And it just aims um, to move the horse along on a day-to-day basis from hay areas to water areas to shelter. And then uh, the second um, part of it, or second uh, system, is called Equicentral. And it's part of the equiculture, um, I guess, entity. It's a business that um, they try to educate people on taking care of your pastures so you're better taking care of your environment. And by taking care of those pastures, they're honing in on soil health. 
Now, if you get your soil correct, their theory is that your grasses and your weeds and your pasture care will be taken care of if you have the right soil mix. And then the third system is wilding or rewilding, and that is conservation grazing. So it is when we manage the land that disrupts biodiversity, uh, we come in and we fix that disruption. So a lot of times um, in this paper, there were talk about you know, weeds taking over and all that. So I would definitely not allow the weeds to come in and be a part of that ecosystem. But in this rewilding, they know the weeds are dependent on certain insects and the insects are dependent on certain weeds. But I just don't believe you can allow weeds that are toxic to grow in your pasture. So anyway, that's a synopsis of this research. Kate and I have never looked into this before. So uh, Kate, what did you think about this? I loved this paper because of what kind of came out of it is that there is this movement towards horse owners being really conscious of making their paddocks more sustainable. And I just thought that was such a great thing because to my knowledge, it's not something that's widely advertised or something that had even crossed like my attention or crossed my path before. Um, not to say it's not hugely popular and somehow me and Nancy are just behind the times. <laughs> but it's, it's not something I've heard talked about, creating sustainable paddocks. We hear a lot about um, paddock uh, resting or like turnover, you know, growing crops and paddocks or putting um, like sheep in one year, or putting goats in or, you know, doing these pasture management techniques, but not in this sense. And what was really great is they gathered this information, I think it was in 2020. So even the data they gathered, um, was gathered just before the paper was published. The paper was published within two years of the study starting. So it's all new um, information. There was a total of 758 responses to a survey. The respondents were predominantly in the 55 to 65 age category. So that was interesting. There were respondents across all age categories, but the majority were 55 to 65 years old and has over 20 years of experience with horses. So over 76% had 20 years with horses experience. I think, um, Nancy, you had kind of an idea of why maybe this age group was more predominant. One of my thoughts that I had for why it was this age group was that potentially this age group is more likely to be pasture owners now, that is just an entirely biased guess that I'm coming out with. But if they were more likely to be pasture owners, they potentially had more of a stake or an interest in completing this kind of research. So it was almost like a motivator. Um, so we see what kind of encourages people to do research. There's research into that in itself. 
But what were your thoughts on it being this age group? I kind of felt like you did, although I did think that age group, maybe at this point in their life, they weren't ready to give up having horses, yet they weren't really riding horses either. So I felt like they were more the horse keepers uh, instead of being the horse riders. And um, I thought 56.5% used the track system. So perhaps they had older horses that they were mm -hmm. fearful of laminitis setting in in a uh grass oriented pasture and then also um you know i just felt like they didn't really need their horse up in a stable so they could work with them so that's why i was thinking perhaps they don't um use their horses in a recreational way maybe they just like taking care of horses and the track system was less upkeep, less care as far as you're not cleaning out stables and, and things like that. So, um, you know, and I'm trying not to be biased in that age group because there are people who ride for the rest of their life up until, mm -hmm. shoot, there are some that ride well into their 80s. So, uh, but I think in this category, having horses for so long, I think this type of management is attractive to them. Yeah, I think that's a great point that they may be more horse owners and yeah. then horse riders at this point are it would be interesting to have that demographic of what the horses were used for. Yeah, I um, looked for that and I wanted to Or know even breathing or, you know, yeah. Yeah. it would just be really interesting to have that extra bit of information. I, um, I, wanted, yeah. I would add that, you know, I like bringing my horses into the stable in the evenings and they're there then. If you want to ride or in the mornings before you turn out, they're there and you're I'm more likely to go ahead and ride or use them rather than say, oh, they're so far out there in the field, I'll ride tomorrow. So for me, it's a motivation to have them in a stall ready for their work and then turn them out type of scenario they're already yeah. in so it you know I was thinking of that as well I like keeping control and uh you know being able to have hands on them every day and that is more intensive as far as the workload goes definitely and considering yeah. how many horses you have but I think a great part of that is that for them, their welfare has routine and structure. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not always easy to do, you know, everything every day. And there's going to be days where you don't manage to rise. But I think you're having that routine of bringing them in. That's what they're used to doing. They're more likely to be ridden in the morning. It eliminates, you know, if they're out in the pasture and they're not sure if they're coming in or not, you know, they're not being ridden this day. Next thing you miss riding them another day. Um, and then we have a, can have an imbalance, certainly with our ponies, of calories in versus calories out very quickly. Yeah, and it's also 
um, thoroughbreds from the racetrack, which all mine were on the track. They're such routine working animals. And I think it's very difficult on a thoroughbred to just be tossed out to pasture. Mm -hmm. I, I think they like to be used and they like to have a purpose. So even if it's not in competitive roles, they just like to be used and to be worked with. So um, anyway, I thought that that's what my thoughts were. And um, I thought it was interesting that also along with the track system, um, that system functioned on less than five acres for mm -hmm. most of the time. And rewilding was likely to require more than five acres. So three to five horses were the most common number of horses these respondents had. So if you're talking less than five acres, you are way over the one to one and a half acres per horse that the British Horse Society requires. So I thought sometimes our pastures are a mess because we put too many horses on too little acreage. Yes, and I think that shows here though, because they said most commonly kept within a herd of three to five horses on two to three acres of land. So typically, I think the horses are being kept on a little bit too small of an area of pasture. Did you say one to one and a half per horse? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, so that is a little bit of a high stocking density. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did really like, though, is I love that rule of three with horses. And um, it's I mean, obviously, having them in pairs is brilliant and great to as part of Friends Forage and Freedom. It's an episode Nancy and I have done a little while back. Brilliant information in that. But when it comes to the rule of three, what I always loved about that is when you do take one horse to ride, the other two have companies still in the pasture. And some horses in particular get quite stressed when they're completely separated and they're on their own, either out in the pasture or if they're on their own and in the stables. So that rule of three works really well for them just having that extra support. And it lets them have a little bit more of a herd dynamic than just two horses do. So I was really happy to see that it was three to five, but then that acreage is just a little bit low. Um, so they mentioned, I think, as you said, Nancy, the track system ended up having a much higher stocking density. Yeah, and I think in the end, the... I even if you have the, I call them, um, oh, screenings are very small gravel. Uh, that still, if you don't keep that compact or compacted, um, that mud will come through. So it still requires a certain amount of upkeep. So, um, and I was amazed how many did not pick manure out of the system. Now, I would always have to do, pick the manure and I do that in the pasture and then I also drag it 
because it's been proven that if you break up your manure in the pastures, the sun will kill the worms or the parasite eggs. So I think it's important to do good manure management on a farm. And, um, you know, the rewilding, especially a lot of them just harrowed it right into the pasture. And I think as long as you allow the sun to break up those eggs and to allow the temperatures to do their job and all that, you're okay. But I still would advocate to get rid of that manure in the pastures. Yeah, it's interesting because growing up, we wouldn't have gone out and removed the manure, but then the pastures weren't necessarily easy to walk all the time. So there was a large acreage um, where I grew up and it would have been like, hilly regions with bog land, some kinds of rocky areas. So it wouldn't have been the most accessible. It wasn't flat pastures. And I wonder if it was similar, because um, was this, this was the UK. I couldn't, was this up in Scotland, Nancy? Or um, was it just in the UK? It was, um, you know what? It does not give a country location but some were on moors and some were on, um, you know, flatter land. Maybe and I just thought when I read moors that it was the UK. Yeah. So it, I may I may have just pulled that out of nowhere. Yeah, it was, um, you know, um, I think they said that they did not know how much land is actually used for horses in the UK, but they do know that the UK houses almost 850,000 horses and ponies and up to 27,500 donkeys. Uh, that's quite a few. And they recommend one to one and a half acres per animal on permanent grazing. So that's significant acreage if you take those numbers. And so you know that the densities are relatively high looking at the yeah. numbers. And I thought another interesting study they brought out here was that it was with cattle, um, which the cattle are similar size and weight to horses. I think they're a little heavier footed um, they tear up the ground a little more because if you have thoroughbreds, they're very light of foot. If you have Clydesdales, they're very heavy footed. So uh, in this cattle study, just one 36 hour treading event by a herd of cattle during the winter caused subsequent pasture growth to almost half. So wow. that's how much treading are them just walking across the ground is going to diminish your forage. And that's why they're talking about this carbon sequestering, keeping the carbon going into your pasture plants and all that. So they're trying to get us all to think greener practices, but I don't think that's going to change until the densities change per pasture. Yeah. Don't you think, Kate? That's at yeah, the because heart of all this, I think. They did, the respondents did try and do these pasture managements um, when it came to, like you said, removing the droppings or spreading them because their aim really was to try and reduce the need for using 
chemical anthelm insects, which is dewormers. So they wanted to try and be using less dewormers in the horses, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. So doing your fecal egg counts rather than just, you know, worming at regular intervals, doing your pasture management. Um, the cattle, that's such an interesting note, like how they can tear up the lands that way. When actually we were talking about rotating pastures, and I don't know if we mentioned this in an episode in the past, but I remember growing up, we would have learned, you know, you could put in sheep or you could put in, um, well, goats, they'll tend to eat absolutely everything. But sheep are quite good to rotate in between. But a great species to rotate in between, if you so wish to get into this endeavor, is alpacas. Mm. Because they're very light of foot. So they won't poach the ground um, and their wool is quite popular. So yeah. I remember hearing that there in the last year or two. Um, someone was saying that they're, you know, they're brilliant. And I think they're fairly hardy as animals. I don't know much about them. I knew, We had them at the zoo when I worked at the St. Louis Zoo, but I don't know that much about them. But I do know with horses, they're such selective grazers that I think the alpacas would probably eat the grasses that the horses kind of snub their nose at. So then, yeah, and it's thought that the when you cross species, the yeah. other species will actually eat in the elimination area. Yeah, and yeah. vice versa. So it kind of renews the field again. Yeah. What they gave an amount that a horse um, will eat, what, three meters away from their. I think that was right, yeah. Elimination area. So, I mean, if, you know, I have five horses, I've never measured those areas, but I will say we keep them picked up and keep and then run like a pasture drag over the pasture to make sure that you know they may begin eating again in certain elimination areas you just don't want that area to keep expanding yeah. and um, I thought it was interesting too Kate you talked about past uh, treating the pastures and for the worms and all that I was amazed that a lot of people did not fertilize their pastures now I don't fertilize our pastures because of the high nitrogen content. What I do is, um, you know, use clover and clover as it's dying is a natural way to introduce nitrogen into your pastures. So you have to be careful though, because clover will replicate like a rabbit. So if you can, put a little bit into your pasture mix and get that started whenever you go to kill off a small area of that clover say it begins to take off those dying roots will emit nitrogen into your soil naturally so I don't necessarily fertilize but we will do that natural fertilizing and that will be harrowing the manure breaking it up um, it'll be removing manure as well but it'll also be um, digging up that clover and letting those roots die 
and go ahead and mm -hmm. introduce that nitrogen because a lot of people will only use low nitrogen fertilizer and a lot of pastures are deficient in nitrogen. So you get a soil sample and see where you're at, what you do need. And if you need nitrogen, see if you have some clover patches that you can dig up and let those roots die and then uh, slowly reintroduce that nitrogen to those areas. That's a great tip. Yeah, I got that from an old timer. That's what they used to do before all these fertilizers came around. And another one of his tips were to mow your pasture and keep your weeds at bay. And I know people that have laminitic horses don't like to have short grass because it is sweeter. But um, if you can mow the weeds or dig them up, that mm -hmm. will help too. Then you don't have to put chemicals on your pasture. I found that elimination area statistic. Okay. Um, so it's one meter one of where meter. their droppings are. But then I, and I remember now reading this. Well, obviously I read the whole paper, but <laughs> I, I specifically remember reading this because it says, and I just thought this was so interesting. Once you take into account these elimination areas and areas where there's going to be bare soil, horses may eat from less than half of the total land available to them. Yeah, yeah. So I and and you know what? If you can keep those elimination areas small, which you know for those of us in the states, that's just a yard. So, you know, one yard away from that. So if you can continue to reduce that amount by keeping it clean and keeping it harrowed and keeping it cut, because you'll notice those elimination areas um, before cutting your pasture, you'll see them. They're always longer. You know, the grass is yeah. longer because the horses aren't eating there. But anyway, um, thanks for looking that up. I knew there was a stat there on how yeah. far away, you know. And if that, if you have a 10-acre pasture, that means they're only eating possibly five acres. Yeah. Depending the, on how many horses there are, because yeah. the more horses, the more elimination areas there are going to be, and the larger the areas. I think this study is really has a lot of, positive and promising findings in it. I think it's just the beginning though, because I think we're gonna have to see more and more research done on what makes for a good horse pasture and what makes for a good system. Now, I don't necessarily use one of these systems. I kind of use all three of them. And the track system, I don't have a track in my pasture. I have a 10 acre pasture with five horses. Now, the fact that I haven't overcrowded it helps me immensely. And then the fact that every few years we overseed it to keep the weeds at bay. We dig up the weeds before they go to seed. We keep the more weedy areas cut low. And then also um, the area where the horses come in to nap and to get under shelter, we have put 
um, screenings there are small pebbles, and that has helped immensely with mud management. Before we did that, I was always hosing legs, and now mm-hmm. I rarely, and I can walk out and get them and bring them in. And that area, and some people call it a loafing area, has not expanded. So it's kept it at a certain dimension, which, you know, we kept seeing it getting larger. And so anyway, now it's cut back, but you just, I kind of do a little bit of all three, but then I also um, bring my horses in at night to rest the pasture. Areas that are overgrazed, we take temporary fencing, cordon that off, and let it renew. So we don't necessarily do rotation, but we do um, divide the pasture periodically and keep the horses off of certain areas. That's another great tip Mm because you mightn't have the opportunity to move them to different fields, but yeah, to cordon off part of the pasture is brilliant. Yeah, and just the night rest makes a lot of difference because you're not only resting your horses, you're resting your pasture, letting Mm -hmm. it replenish and all that. And, you know, every year I talk about the pony gaining weight and it's because of the grasses, but come winter, she she definitely gets back into good form. And you can always use grazing muzzles if if you have to. Yeah. You and know. keep keep them on the whole time the pony's out there because we've mentioned this a hundred times, but a pony will eat eight yeah. hours worth in four. So if you take that muzzle off, that's it. They're going to make up for lost time. Yeah. And I tend to exercise, use exercise um, in my, instead of a grazing muzzle, but you know, sometimes those ponies can look at grass and put weight on, yeah. you know. <laughs> though but anyway I think this is a good beginning point it is open access I will put the link on our home page and anybody having any questions or maybe experience with using one of these specific systems um, you know give us go to the home page and give us a little recording of what you have found and we'll share it with the group brilliant I just wanted to mention this one sentence Um, To close on, the paper says that well-managed equine pastures could provide useful spaces for developing mature pasture land, which could then go on to sequester carbon, reduce soil erosion, reduce nutrient runoff, and provide rich environments for local insects, birds, and mammals. So I think it's a brilliant topic, such an interesting area to get into. And thank you, Nancy, for suggesting this one this week. Oh, no problem. I came across this and I thought, if anything, I'll learn something that I can implement here on the farm. Mm -hmm. And then we did have a request for research. So um, it was treeless saddles. So we're going to be looking into that. Uh, Thank you, Esther, for your little message on Facebook about that. And then we've had a request for research on um equestrian anxiety and it came off of last week's episode so we'll kind of be looking into that too to see if we can give any 
um, any performers, any tips on how to reduce your anxiety. Um, so it's not, uh, you know, your heart rate is not at 100% before you go into the arena or on, um, I think that was for dressage tests that their heart mm -hmm. rate was so high or stadium jumping. So uh, we'll kind of look into that and see if we can't come up with any um, modern or recent research on how to manage your anxiety before you go into that show ring. Brilliant. So okay. stay tuned and we'll be back with more next week. Okay. Thanks, Kate. Talk to you later. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.